on those uh, next Sunday. Uh, marriage today is in a crisis, isn't it? Marriage is seen as outdated, old-fashioned, irrelevant, impermanent. You know, close to 80% of couples now choose to cohabit, either before marriage or after marriage or whatever. It's a, it's a lifestyle choice. They, they choose to, to live in a sexual and social relationship without being married in the eyes of the law. In a survey of over 60-year-olds, uh, 40% of over 60-year-olds encouraged a trial marriage, cohabiting before marriage. And given the current divorce rates, you can see why. Almost one in two now ends in divorce. So every other person that I marry here in church ends up in the divorce court. And of course, divorce is a cause of real heartache, real pain, real anguish, real damage. I don't underestimate that. But for some, a divorce is just a lifestyle choice. The marriage isn't working, so you just get out of it. Children, children have become a lifestyle choice. So people choose to delay having kids and people choose to achieve their personal goals first. People talk about whether they'll cope with kids you know, financially, emotionally, lifestyle-wise. Kids are seen as an inconvenience. Do you know the uh, abortion rate? It's almost one in five. Almost one in five pregnancies are now aborted. People choose not only uh, when to have kids, but when, to take, when you get adopted to have it taken away. Or take sex. Sex, sex is now a lifestyle choice. And so sex has shifted from being about how to satisfy my wife or my husband and it's now become my rights and my personal development. So I choose who I sleep with when I want and when I stop sleeping with them. And it's my choice whether I sleep with men or whether I sleep with women. And if I want sex, I, I hop on the internet or I go to a chat room, I walk down to a club or to a bar. Sex is about fun, no strings attached. Or, or sex today has become a bit of a saviour, hasn't it? So if you're not having sex, then you're seen somehow to be sort of half a person. And because of TV or movies or pornography, uh, sex is, is always portrayed as being always beautiful and always pleasurable and always easy. And there's no mention of the real facts that, that one in four women find sex more, more painful than pleasurable. Or that the fact that uh, one in three men suffer some form, of, some form of sexual dysfunction at some point in their life. And sex, it just starts younger and younger and younger. So at school, our kids are just taught to experiment, to see if you're compatible. And that concept of waiting until you're married, it's just laughable. On Today FM uh, last week, there was an interview uh, with Carl and Jackie O, and they interviewed a, a Christian pop star who was a self-confessed virgin. And they were just laughing at him. Unbelievable. Or, or take singleness. We'll talk more about that later, but let me just say that while the world celebrates singleness, if you're single in the church, you're made to feel inadequate or socially awkward or something is missing. Marriage in crisis, sex in crisis, singleness in crisis... And we need to hear 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We need to hear 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The traditional view is that this chapter is all about marriage. You know, should I get married or not? And so if I've got a dating couple, I take them to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And that might be good for that. But it wasn't the original purpose. This, this chapter is not primarily about marriage. Please take a, a pen and cross out that word marriage, that heading marriage. 
this chapter is all about sex. Paul is saying, let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that made me. Let's talk about sex, he's saying. Remember, Paul's talked a lot about sex already. There's, there's a man sleeping with his stepmother in chapter 5. He said, flee from sexual immorality, chapter 6. Chapter 6, he said, if you're habitually sinning, if you're adopting a lifestyle of heterosexual or homosexual sex outside of marriage, you've got a problem. Salvation's at stake. And so the Corinthians are thinking like this. They say, Paul is unmarried. We're not allowed to have sex. It's bad to have sex. So, no sex at all. Let's just be celibate. It's better to be celibate than to stuff up. And they seem to have adopted this, this wrong view of sex, a position that almost the church seems to have sometimes. You know, sex is dirty, sex is wrong. Or, or like Augustine who said that, that sex is part of the fall. So look at verse 1 with me. Uh, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for man not to marry. Or literally it said, it's good for man not to touch a woman. It's good for man not to touch a woman. Look down to the footnote in your Bibles. It is good for man not to have sexual relations with a woman. The Corinthians are saying it's good not to have sex. And Paul says, yeah, you're right, but you're also wrong. He says this, first of all, that sex in marriage is a good thing. Sex in marriage is a good thing, an essential thing. Sex is good. God made us as sexual creatures. He made us male and female God made us to, to procreate in his kindness. He gave his sex for pleasure, for procreation, for intimacy. It's just a natural desire, a natural part of life. So Genesis 26, Isaac is caressing his wife, Rebecca. Ecclesiastes 9, he says, enjoy the wife of your youth. A song of songs, the desires, the delight of that mutual erotic love between a man and his wife. Or Genesis 2, you know, a man shall leave his father and mother and he'll become one flesh. One flesh is, is that, that physical union, but more than that, it's, it's the spiritual, it's the emotional, it's the, um, the mental union between one man and one woman. Not two men, not two women, but one man, one woman, joined in that most intimate expression called sex. And so in Genesis 2, you've got uh, the man and the woman, they're both naked and there's no shame. Uh, they're at their most vulnerable there's a good place for that. It's called marriage. And Paul is saying in this chapter that sex is an integral part of marriage. It's not just to procreate. You can do that in a lab today. It's not just because we're like animals desperate to relieve sexual tension. Sex is a personal, intimate, beautiful, vulnerable, true expression of your oneness. And let me say right up front that, that sex should never be used as a bribe in marriage you should never use sex as a threat you know I'll withhold it from you you should never use sex as a reward for good behaviour or demanding sex uh, the Bible just urges married couples to, to have sex and have lots of sex in marriage it's an important part of being married look at verse 2 uh, since there's so much immorality uh, each man should have his own wife should have sex with his own wife the word have, it's not an acquire word, it's a sexual word. If you're married, keep having sex, but with your own wife. Again, verse 2, each woman, have sex with your own husband. And Paul gives us three reasons why sex is important in a marriage. Firstly, it's a, it's a mutual obligation. 
a mutual obligation. Look at verse 3. The husband should fulfil his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone but also to his wife. Do you see the mutual relationships, the mutual duty? Uh, We think duty is a negative word, don't we? It's not how it's used in the Bible. Duty in the Bible is a positive word. It's it's payment for something that's due. So it's our duty to worship God. Uh, We do that joyfully. It's the same with sex. It's an expression of an existing reality. You are one flesh. And so it's your duty to keep expressing that. And I know some find that offensive. And of course it can be abused and of course it can be misused. You know, when a husband demands sex from his wife and when a wife demands sex from her husband, that is wrong. Uh, but used rightly, it's not offensive. You know, if we're doing this selflessly and lovingly and carefully, we have an obligation to meet each other's sexual needs. If you realise that from the day that you're married, uh, her body belongs to you and, and his body belongs to you and it's not your body anymore, uh, then you'll willingly surrender your body to each other. You have that mindset, how can I please the other person, even if I don't particularly enjoy it? Sex isn't you know, the husband's privilege and the wife's obligation. It's an equal privilege, it's an equal responsibility, it's a mutual responsibility. That flies in the face of first century Corinth where they thought it was all down to the bloke and the woman just, just had to do it. It's that mutual obligation to have sex regularly. How often? I don't know. One person said, have sex often enough that neither is frustrated nor tempted to cheat on the other. It's a mutual obligation. He secondly says, uh, don't deprive each other. In verse 5, look at verse 5. Stop defrauding each other. Don't deprive each other. Except by mutual consent for a time so you may devote yourself to prayer. And then come together again so Satan will not tempt you because you have a lack of self-control. Stop defrauding each other. Stop taking away what rightfully belongs to the other person. He's saying, health permitting, listen carefully, health permitting, age permitting perhaps. The only reason the Bible gives to abstain from sex is in verse 5. It's to pray together. So unless you, you both agree, it's mutual consent, and it's for a short time only, and the purpose is to pray then keep having sex. But he says in verse 5, don't put your spouse at the disposal of the tempter. Come together so that Satan will not tempt you. This is a concession, verse 6. Not marriage is a concession, but prayer is a concession. He's not commanding us to stop having sex to pray, but he's saying, if you're not praying, then stop having sex so that you can pray. But then just for a short time, in case you're tempted. And that's the third reason to keep having sex, to, to avoid sexual temptation. That's there in verse 2. Since there's so much immorality, there's so many temptations around. Or verse 5 again. So that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Come over to Corinth. In Corinth, if you walk down the high street in Corinth, there'd be prostitutes on every street corner. You know, and the husband who, who's not having sex with his wife is tempted to have sex with somebody else. Uh, walk down the streets of Sydney and sex is everywhere it's on the billboards, it's on the magazines it's flaunted in your office you go and buy a coffee and you're offered sex Uh, it's on the beach, you know it's everywhere 
And if you're married and you're not having regular sex with your wife or your husband, temptation is rife. There's so many times where I sit in my office and I, I counsel couples who are struggling in marriage or go through a, a messy divorce and there's been unfaithfulness. Time and time and time again, they talked about how they stopped having sex a long time ago. If you're married, please don't deny each other. Please don't risk that temptation. And I wonder whether married couples here are so preoccupied you know, with work and we're so busy and we're obsessed with self and we're obsessed with sport that we just don't make time to make love to our spouse. We don't express that one fleshness. Or Christian couples who are so busy in church, so busy doing things and we're just too tired but no time and no energy for sex. The Bible says sex in marriage is good. Not just good, it's essential. And perhaps if you've got a close Christian friend, a Christian couple, you need to ask each other regularly, are you having sex? It's an important part of marriage. Now, who said the, the Bible was boring? Um, let's talk about no sex. Uh, let's talk about singleness. You know, in the last 20 years, uh, the number of people aged between 25 and 34 who are living alone has increased by 346%. A massive increase of people who are still single. Uh, people live longer, people choosing not to get married. Uh, we have more single widows, uh, more divorcees who are choosing to stay single. Uh, people choose to stay single so they can study, they can travel, they can put their career before marriage. And it's funny, isn't it, that singleness in society is okay, it's good. But you're walking to church, and somehow, if you're single, you feel strange. You feel less accepted. And the basic assumption seems to be that, that one day you will get married, of course you'll get married. But until then, well, you're useful for, for a bit of babysitting on a Friday night or Saturday night. And, I, and for some of us, that, that, that tension is self-imposed. You know, we have the expectation that by a certain age we'd be married, and we're not. But for some of us it's um, imposed by others. You know, the family who sit you down and say, what's wrong with you? You're still single. Or they go through a list of all the compatible partners that they can suggest. Or there's a social pr pressure, you know, that three is still an awkward number at a dinner party. And people talk about life has cheated you if you're still single. Or single is talked about you know, a problem to be coped with. I was asked at the conference two years ago, uh, are you still single? And I said, yes, I am. Are you still married? You know, as though it's unusual to still be single. And the pressure in the church, you know, that if you're still single after a certain age, people try and diagnose a problem. Is it, is it your physical appearance? Or have you got bad breath? Or... Are you socially inept? Are you too picky? And then the church talks about this, this gift called singleness, which is a bit like a, a jab at a dentist. So no one would really want to do it. No one really wants to go there, do they? And so although many, many Christians are single, the message the church gives out is that it's undesirable or it's unnatural. And that's not what 1 Corinthians 7 says. 1 Corinthians 7 says this, that no sex and single is a good thing. Not to have sex and to be single is a very good thing. 
But Paul is a single man. We don't know whether he was a widower or divorced or never married. It's all speculation. We know he's single. And the basic advice of this chapter is stay as you are. So look at verse 8. Uh, to the unmarried and the widows, the word for unmarried there is probably the masculine word for widower. Uh, to the unmarried and widows, it's good to remain single. It's good for them to stay unmarried as I am. Paul's not against marriage. Marriage is good, but singleness is good as well. He's saying, see, marriage may be the right way for many, but so is singleness. If you're unmarried at the moment and you've not, you've got, not got any inner compulsion to get married, then it's good to remain single. What are the reasons to get married? We think loneliness, we think love. What does Paul say? Verse 9. But if you cannot control yourselves, then you should marry. So it's better to marry than to burn with passion. The word it isn't cannot. It literally says, if you do not control yourself, if you're not practicing self-control. Implication being that, that these people are already having sex. They're not married and they are having sex. He says, in that case, it's black and white. Either stop having sex or get married. Now, if you can't control yourself sexually, if you love someone so much that you just long to make love to them as your husband, as your wife, then just get married. Marriage is a good thing. Marriage is a right thing. But if not, then stay single. Look down to verse 25 with me. To the virgins, it's the person not engaged in sex. It's those who have not married, those who have never married. It includes the engaged couples. This is Paul's judgment, Paul's apostolic opinion if you want about the virgins I have no command from the Lord but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy because of the present crisis I think it is good for you to remain as you are stay single are are you married? don't seek a divorce are you unmarried? don't look for a wife if you do marry you've not sinned and if a virgin marries she's not sinned but those who marry will face many troubles in this life and I want you to spare them, spare you this. He said, it is good to remain single. Or to the engaged couples, down in verse 36. It's again, it's good to get married, but it's good to be single. It's okay not to marry, unless, of course, you're acting inappropriately. And if you're widowed, verse 39, you're bound to your husband as long as he lives, but if he dies, you're free to marry, as long as he's a Christian. Verse 40, but in my judgment, she's happy if she stays single. See what he's saying? He's saying that sex in marriage is good and no sex and singleness is also a good thing from God. They're both gifts from God, if you want. And that's what he says in verse 7. Probably the most misunderstood, but the key verse of the passage. Verse 7. I wish that all men was I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. He says there's two gifts. One is called sex and marriage and one is called celibacy and singleness. And neither gift is superior. Neither gift is inferior. And God chooses which particular gift he will give to you at this particular time. So if you're here today and and like me, you're, you're single and celibate, and if you're free from the need to have sex, then you do have the gift of singleness at this time. And if you're married, you do not have the gift of singleness. So please have sex in your marriage. That's a great gift. And if you do get married, then you'll exchange the gift of singleness for the gift of marriage. And if, when you're widowed, you'll exchange the gift of marriage for the gift of singleness. 
But wherever you've got at this moment, consider it a great gift from God. Again, I've used this illustration before, but I think it's the best I can come up with. A couple of years ago, someone bought me a shirt uh, from Myers. Uh, it's a nice gift, a very generous gift. Just wasn't me. <laughs> Just was not me. So took the, the shirt back to Maya. Now I could walk into Maya. I've got the receipt. I've got the shirt, and I say, "This was a gift. I want to change it, please. Uh, I'd like a, an iPod, please." And they'd go, "No, this shirt costs sixty dollars. You know, an iPod costs." $400. You can't exchange it for something more expensive. You can exchange it for something of the same value. And that's what Paul is saying here. That marriage and singleness are of the same value. And sometimes you'll exchange one for the other. But they're both a good gift from God. Now, if you've grasped that, this gift concept, that will radically change your attitude towards singleness and celibacy. See, see singleness is not a, a super spiritual calling for the truly holy. It's not about being resigned to being single and no sex. We may struggle with it, but we should learn to thank God for it and accept that God has given me this gift at this particular time. You can't say, I don't have the gift. A married person cannot say, I don't have the gift of marriage. What are you going to say to them? I'll just get out of it. No, you say, you work hard at your marriage. A single person, you say, well, I know it's hard, but work hard at it. And whether you're single or married, you just live as a single person or live as a married person. People ask me all the time, uh, do you have the gift of singleness? Do you have the gift of singleness? This is the answer I give them. It's the best answer I can, I come, up, I can come up with. This. I say, well, I'm, I am single now, so yes, at this present time, I have the gift of singleness. But maybe one day I'll get married, in which case then God will, will give me the gift of marriage. Are you with me? Paul gives two other reasons why singleness is a good thing and no sex is a good thing. He says, you're free from marital anxiety. Look at verse 26. End of verse 26. Those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want, you to, I want to spare you this. That's, right, that's verse 28, isn't it? Verse 28. Uh, Those who marry will face many troubles in this life. I want to spare you this. He's saying, life is, is full of heartache and troubles. We all have troubles. But the temptation to think that a marriage partner will get rid of those troubles, is naive. Marriage brings more troubles. The, the pain of seeing your wife suffer depression, or the pain of seeing your kids teased for knowing Jesus, or the pain of seeing your husband be made redundant, or the anxiety of family pressures or sexual problems in a marriage or unresolved conflicts. Marriage brings great, great blessings, but also real troubles and real pains. And I think many single people are naive. We think that marriage is a solution to my problem. Marriage is the most demanding of human commitments. It's not the easy option. Believe me, there are many lonely people in marriage, many stressed, anxious people in marriage. Please don't be like a, the grass is always greener. We are free from troubles as a single person. Uh, the flip side is that we have undivided loyalty to God. That's there in verse 32. I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. His interests are divided. 
it's common sense, isn't it? It's not possible for a married man to be fully devoted to God and fully devoted to his family. He's rightly concerned about his wife. He's rightly concerned about his kids. She's rightly concerned about her husband. He's concerned about both, listen carefully, both his family and God. And that's a good thing. A married person who who cares about his family and God, it's a good place to be in. There's great advantages to to serving together and working as a team and using gifts to complement each other. But equally, your your loyalties are divided. You know, I talk to, to husbands who, who long to do this, but they can't because they're married. And I talk to wives who, who resent this but, but of their husband because of the time he's taken away. You've got these divided loyalties. We're not able, a married person is not able to give all their time and all their energy to serving God. But that is the privilege of the single person. The single person can concentrate all their energy in that one direction, how can I please God? there in verse 32 how he can please the Lord is there again in verse 34 her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit is there again in verse 35 end of verse 35 undivided devotion to God now I know friends that singleness is tough I like to describe it as a, as a precious jewel you know it's jagged it's painful at times but actually it is really beautiful and it has amazing potential and the opportunity to serve God, and it's liberating. It means that the single life can be enjoyed and used. Instead of being, being condemned to singleness, it's a great gift to be enjoyed and used to the full. Whether short-term or long-term, please put your singleness to good use for the kingdom. Could Paul have planted all these churches in Asia Minor if, if he'd been a married man? Probably not. Uh, speaking personally, I've had the privilege of you know, devoting more time to studying the scriptures and to pray and to writing sermons and I can meet men at 7am to read the Bible. A married man can't do that five days a week. If people need a speaker the weekend away, I can just go. Uh, I'm not tied to Sydney. I don't have the responsibility of kids. I can go and serve the Lord anywhere as a single man. And financially, I, I do have the freedom to give generously. Don't mishear me. Marriage and single are equally a valid way of serving Christ. Uh, but the single does have more money, more time, more energy, less distractions, and that's one of the joys of singleness. John Stott said this, Being single is a great joy. Being able to devote myself with concentration, without distraction, fully to the work of the Lord. And I just wonder whether we should take the decision to get married much, much more seriously than I think we do. We just assume that sex and marriage is the best option. And we never stop and ask the harder questions. You know, like, is sexual temptation a real issue for me? Am I lacking self-control? Is that a reason why we should get married? This is what Michael Green said. I think it's really helpful. In deciding whether to get married... Instead of adopting the countless criteria that our society suggests, how many Christians ask themselves in which state, single or married, they can best serve the Lord? Do we ask, could I be equally useful to the Lord if I were married? Or would it inevitably curtail my usefulness to him? The quantity of time available for Christian involvement may be reduced. It will be reduced once we are married. But But its quality may well be enhanced. We must honestly ask the question, 
of the impact a marriage will have on my Christian life and my Christian service. Do we ever ask those? Paul is saying, if you're single, your identity is in Christ. It's a good thing. No sex and singleness is a good thing. Please get rid of the the -the on-the-shelf language. There's no shelf. The only place is the, the arms of a loving father who loves you enough and cares for you enough that he sent Jesus to die for you. I must close, let me finish by saying two things to both married and to singles. First bit of advice is this. Be content with where you're at. Be content with where you're at. That's a big theme of this chapter. Whichever gift God has given you at this moment, stay as you are, be content with where you are. Stay in verse 8, isn't it? Verse 8. Stay unmarried as I am. Verse 10. A wife must not separate from her husband. Verse 11. Uh, she must be reconciled. Uh, verse 12. You don't have to leave your unbelieving husband. Uh, verse 20 is the same. Verse 24. Verse 26. Stay as you are. Verse 27. Stay as you are. Verse 37. Stay as you are. He's saying, be content with where you're at. If you're married, if you're married, give thanks for that and have lots of sex in your marriage. If you're single, then give thanks for that and be content. Please don't live your life in what I call transit mode. You know, I'll wait till I'm married until I buy this house. I'll wait till I'm married until I lead this Bible study. I'll wait till I have kids until we do this. I'll wait until our kids are grown up until we do this. I'll wait until I'm divorced. I'll wait until I'm widowed until I do this. We're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. Be content now and serve God now. Be content and be kingdom minded. That's what Paul says in verse 29. He says, Brothers, the time is short. The time is short. He says, Christ has died. Christ has been raised. The Spirit has been given. The only thing that's about to happen is Jesus is going to come back. Jesus will come back. And this world is on the way out. So make sure that all the things of this world are just temporary and be kingdom minded. So if you're married, verse 29, live as if you were not married. He's not saying live as a single person. He's saying don't be so preoccupied with your marriage and your family that you no longer serve Christ and no longer wait for Christ. Don't build your whole life on your marriage and your kids. Uh, if you're engaged, if you plan your wedding, look at two couples here, if you plan, your wedding, plan for eternity, not just for that day. You want to serve Christ for the rest of your married life. If you're single, start living for God's kingdom now. Because there's an urgency. Whether you're married, whether you're single, the one word that should mark our marriages and our singleness is the word eternity. Eternity. Live with the return of Christ in mind and live with eternity in mind. I know they're hard to hear and I'm very willing to sit down and talk to people and pray people afterwards. I want to encourage you to take the scripture seriously. Sex in marriage is a great thing. No sex and singleness, equally good thing. Wherever you're at now, say thank you God for the gift that you've given me today. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the great gift of sex and for marriage in which to use that great gift. I do pray for all married couples here that 
they would be uh, honouring you and honouring each other with their bodies. And for those of us, Lord, who are single, help us to be content in that, to rejoice in that, and to thank you for that. And whether we're married or single, help us all to be kingdom-minded people. And I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen.